0: Welcome to Inside Football Podcast. This is our first one, uh, first episode. Uh, today we have uh, Lucas Mordorana uh, the, from Mordorana Soccer, the Western Select U13 coach and uh, assistant coach at Palm Beach Atlantic in uh, West Palm Beach, uh, Division II. Welcome. Yep. Uh, and also we have also Felipe Alvarez uh, from Colombia, uh, who's at First Touch Soccer Academy, and the head coach of the Western Select U14 boys. Uh, Myself, how you doing, Alvarez? Uh, What's (laughs) up? Myself, I'm Rob Stoutenberg, uh, piece of football. um, uh, Also at Western Select U15 boys. And the whole purpose of this is for us just to, you know, sit back, talk about the things that are going around in in the world of soccer. Uh, I have two knowledgeable guys sitting next to me and – we love to talk about soccer all the time, and we're just gonna put it on the platform so all you guys can hear us as well. Uh, so, what's up, what's up, boys? How's everything? Let's go.
1: hopefully everybody's doing good, being safe.
2: How's yeah. the quarantine yeah. looking? Looking forward to it. Now it's good to do something like this, just get out of your own head a little bit, but trying to make the most. Yeah. and Still lay low.
0: Yeah. What, what do you guys think is the, the the most difficult part of this quarantine for you guys so far?
1: Man, the field, man. Yeah. <laughs> the field. Yeah. But, you know, I'm still working, so that distraction on the field is
0: it helps
1: yeah. a lot. Yeah, I don't think it does work. I think it was stress reliever.
2: Yeah. It's crazy for me. Me, I think a lot of you guys are in the same boat. Like, in the normal rhythm is is a grind. You go to work, you go to the fields, you go home, you take care of family, meal prep, cleaning. For me, at first, it was like, wow, this is actually like a crazy change in the sense that it's good. I have more time with my you know, my wife and daughter, more time just to get into reading that I haven't read in a while, watch videos I haven't seen, like different things like that. And then you hit a point where you're like, I'm just itching. I'm itching to get out yeah. to the park, itching to yeah. get out on the ball, Like
1: Especially to share the knowledge you just gained while watching all those videos. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. God, you want to yeah. sh- share stuff too. Yeah. So this yeah, is cool. Right. Yeah, this is cool because then we can share, you know. Same thing that we do on the field. We like to share stuff with the kids, you know. So yeah. Maybe this can get us, get that out of
0: us. Yeah. At least talk about football a little bit more. Right. So, yeah. Uh, what we all do, we all do uh, online training. Um, how's that been going for you guys as well?
2: Well, it's uh, funny because the, yeah. oh, the whole evolution that like the three of us sort of sharing ideas and stuff like that, you know, for me it was like, what do you even do like you know do you spend is it only ball work is it only you know fitness stuff and then you know seeing your videos rob made me realize like okay you can do stuff in space with a ball ball out of the air ball on the ground and then seeing felipe like in his boys who were asking for more fitness stuff made Mm -hmm. me i was like all right there's there's a way that you can do a little bit of everything and keep it going so you know for me I enjoy it. it sort of gives me a reason to get out of the house and do some exercises and record them and pop them and send them out to the guys. I think overall it's good. I mean, we're making the best of a worse, very bad situation, but uh, yeah. you know, it's on the players a little bit to take that ownership and to, you know, really try to put in the time and go through the process of, you know, learning how to do things on their own.
0: I was really impressed with Felipe in the beginning because I think Felipe, you started before the rest of us did. And then um, yeah. you really got well, into the physical aspect, the plyometrics and all that stuff. And then, and then you started getting into bulwark and stuff like that. And it, it looked really good.
1: Uh, uh, well, I started a lot. Like, my brother does a lot of fitness stuff. So I really copy off of his stuff. <laughs> I'm not the yeah. fitness guru. But it's he makes all those videos. So I kind of started copying them. And then when I first started First Touch, I started making a little bit of videos with one of my clients that was playing at the... At the academy, so he, I was able to get creative with him. So mm-hmm. we were, oh, let's record it. So yeah, I kind of got used to it, but it was tough adjusting to see like, oh man, what can I make these kids do that they want to do? Like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then I'm like, ah, oh, do I really want to do this if I was them? I like, know. Yeah. So why would I do that? So yeah, you just kind of have to think in their feet. What's gonna make them go out there and kind of enjoy doing it like we it's, used it's, to? You know, it's,
0: it's that it's that love of the game, right?
1: Yeah, so, like, hopefully yeah. you can install it in them.
2: Yeah. But what made you guys fall in love with it? Well, we, uh, I mean, we talked about this. I'm sort of segueing from one the topic to the other, but we talked about yeah. this. It's like we all played on teams. We all grew up around the game. Is like there was like a third of the team that was like super passionate, really into it. There's a third of the group that's like, okay, well, I'll do it. And then there's a third that like really struggles to get get going. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge as a coach – for you know any level right now is you're like you're looking at it you're like i know i got that core group that's going to do it but how can i take care of that top third but then also like try to lift everyone else up along with mm-hmm. it being creative being engaging things like that i think that's mm-hmm. a coach's challenge on or off the field um but to answer your question rob the the passion the love of the game um you know it's for me i my grandparents come from italy they moved to Ohio and I grew up and my grandfather was like very strict, man. He was like, no one speaks anything with English. Like you are in America, you have to learn, you have to acclimate, you need to better yourself, you educate yourself. But I mean, I remember growing up and like did like recreational soccer and then like a local travel team. And then right around like middle school, high school started realizing like there was a competitive travel and pickup games and things like that. And I was in a pocket of like an hour South of Cleveland by Akron where I was like, italian greek german Mm -hmm. serbian croatian Mm -hmm. and like all these european countries that they weren't like they were technical of course but they were it was all like passion and i remember being like 14 to like 18 years old and anytime i would go to a park or go to a training or a field there was like pickup games and most of the time they would end up in a fight because it was like so competitive so passionate didn't want to lose didn't want to you know didn't want to stop playing and That sort of became a model for me that just fell in love with the game and just wanted to play as much as I could, just be on the ball as much as I could. And that's sort of like my little thread that's carried me through college, you know, semi-pro, a little bit of pro, now coaching and trying to make a living out of it every day.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Felipe?
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, um, this runs in my blood, in my family. Uh, My grandpa started this league. We spoke about it a little bit. Uh, Started the first league in this little town in Medellin. So, in Colombia, and I just remember ever since going every there every summer when I was little, we'd just go watch the games or watch him coach, watch his teams go, watch the adults play. And then yeah. from there, over there, you just, if you want to get picked, you got to be good. Yeah. If not, you're not getting picked or you're getting picked last. And that's how you have to grow up there. So, yeah, over there, that's what the passion that everybody, every kid has, even if they're good or bad for the game is is yeah. ridiculous. It's good. That's definitely where it comes from. It's just being in that atmosphere, constantly, a, yeah. at a young age.
0: Yeah, yeah. How about you, Rob? For me, it's just uh, yeah. I, I, my parents are Dutch, and um, yeah, I grew up with the whole Aranya mentality, and and always seeing the Dutch team doing well. And my dad was a soccer fanatic as well. My uncle played um, uh, for the national team in Suriname. Uh, I have family members that just play soccer all the time. Every time I used to go back to Holland, it was uh, we're playing in the streets, and you know, every, everybody's competitive. And going back to what you said, Felipe, if you wanted to get picked, you had to be one of the better guys to stay on the court. You know, um, or and, or bring and, or bring the ball. Oh, exactly, or bring the <laughs> or ball. Bring the ball. <laughs> so yeah, and then you um, could be one of those idiot kids that just say, oh, "Well, whatever," I've taken the ball and going home, and then the whole day stops. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah.
1: So you got yeah. pick him.
0: Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it was always in my blood and my dad was really a fanatic about it. Like everything. Uh actually I started the first I picked American football when I was younger because all my friends were doing that when I was a kid and my dad's like no, you're going to play soccer. And then Bro, you're uh, like
2: 64, so it makes sense. Yeah, I
0: know yeah. Wait. I wasn't bad. I was I was a quarterback and and, and a running back, so it was all Oh, right. nice. So, all yeah. right. But um I I I Went wholeheartedly to be a soccer player, and you know, I wanted to be pro. Um, distantly, you know, Sadorf and Mario Mellfiot—they were like my my idols and, and close to the family kind of. So um, it was just one of those things where they they were almost in arm's reach, you know. And I wanted to be at IX when I was a kid. I remember um, when I was 16, I, I got uh, I was uh, I was able to go to the national camp over there. Uh, it was like just one of those little, you know, those camps that they set up throughout the country. You just go and play, and then Van uh, gaal was came with the Champions League trophy. I went with my best friend after we went to Surf Cup, and like right there, and then I knew I was like, I want to be a pro. You know, this is this is it for me. I'm going to do everything I can, and I worked even harder after that moment, just trying to to get into college and and you know, be be the best I could at the game. So, yeah, it was. It was it's just being european and being in those moments that 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 helped me spark that 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 fire that i had to, to just get better.
2: So that's cool. Yeah. I think that type of i think that type of exposure, i mean both of you guys had it in an international sense is so huge for young players like to to be in your own little club and your own little team and to be the best is one thing, but then when they get out, when you get out and see like what a different level is, what a different culture is, than like where a country that's all about Football. I mean, it yeah. just it opens your eyes. to like, oh man, yeah. I'm not I don't comp- know. competing against my group. I'm competing yeah. against the whole world. Yeah, I think I that don't was know super. it is important. in Europe,
1: but um, and, and in Colombia, I know it's you only play for the town you live in. You got to show your identification. And it's not you, you only play yeah. in that little town you live in at the beginning. No matter who you're gonna go, where you're gonna go, who scouts you, that that show that shows which town has the best players. Mm. for sure yeah I don't know how in Europe was it uh, Rob was in, Holland, it way?
0: in Holland you have these you have your little pockets you know um, you don't really start playing against the bigger teams until you get into the higher levels but you have these club rivalries and the the yeah. thing that I that I think I, I miss here most in, in youth soccer is that you're a part of the club you start at a club you pretty much end at that club when you're like 70-80 years old you know You're really part of that club, and that professional team that's so close to you—that the closest one to you—you're usually a uh, a fan of that club. If if you're lucky, you have two, and you grow up with those clubs. And you don't have that club culture here, you know. Yeah,
1: so easy to hop around from team to team over there. It's you pick one and you stick one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, do or die. Good years, bad years, don't matter. And usually, those pro clubs they have.
0: Yeah, they have, they, but they have those feeder programs too in the in the pro clubs there. So, out of the out of your club, you have to be the best kid in order to get an invite to let's say Ajax, PSV, and all these other things before you really get the opportunity to play. And then you're only there for maybe a week or two. You're not even there for a long period of time because they're watching you throughout the whole year and seeing how you you are. And it is different facets of your game that they're looking at they'll start talking to people in the club. How's this person? How's his attitude? How's his, how's his progression? How is he with his teammates? How's he with the coach, you know, and without you even knowing about it, that they're doing all this research about you and then you get the invite after all that, after they've been monitoring you for months. So, yeah. So with that being said, what do you guys think about youth soccer in America right now? Are we at a point now? Are we pivoting or are we, Oh, are we going to continue the path that we have right now?
2: Anyone of you guys who wants to take the first step at it? <laughs> I know, right?
1: <laughs> Go ahead, Lucas.
2: All right. Well, we'll I mean, you, you guys can <laughs> interrupt me at any point, but I, I might be Captain Obvious here for a minute. I might, for the biggest thing, is it's, it's all uncertain. And we're talking about the elite level sort of first, mm-hmm. in the sense of, um, you know, the obvious thing the DA has announced they disbanded. Obviously, with the MLS announcing, you know, hours later that they're starting their own league, it was pre-orchestrated. You know, if you were in the soccer world, if you've taken a course recently, if you've been anything with the Federation, you've been following them. You know, this was in the works. You know, what was it? I think 18 months ago or a year ago, they split the DA into like a tier one and tier two. Mm -hmm. And even with that divide, it was like teams that were winning and beating MLS teams were sent to the tier two and all the MLS teams were on a tier one. So, you know, I think we would have to be naive to say that we knew, you know, didn't know change was in the air. Um, You know, for me, I I try to be balanced in the sense that you try to find the pros and the cons of each. I think something like the DA is a great concept, um, you know, but America is not a European country, you know, sort of to make a domestic league is, very challenging geographically financially things like that um but it's a good thing to have a path for players to play at the highest level against other high level players um the competitiveness the the buzz the culture so pros and cons over overall i think there's a lot of people that like to bash american youth soccer you know and maybe it's just a trickle down of promotion, relegation from the MLS, which is sure a topic for another day. You know, I'm sure that there's also you know a lot of people that would think that they would do things differently or better if they were in charge. For me, it comes down to two things. Um, the pay-to-play model kills us, you know, and we're fortunate to be in a club that's very affordable with Weston Select. Um, I've been part of clubs that have, you know, charged thousands of thousands of dollars I've been part of a very unique school program um, that was completely free to kids in Harlem and Bronx and Brooklyn that would have no access okay. to the game. And I can, you know, talk about that another time. So the pay-to-play model is is tough. On the flip side of it, I I think the my second point is that access to the game is becoming more readily available. And in America, having grown up in America, seeing, you know, my friends and peers like I grew up 45 minutes from LeBron James high school. Like we talk about it and it's easy to say like America is not Brazil. I mean, we're the same similar size, you know, similar, Mm -hmm. maybe population, but we have five dominant sports and they have one, you know, so there I would say soccer has grown tremendously, which as an American who's seen that is fantastic. Um, access has improved. Some pockets are trying to do something about pay to play. Um, so overall, I'm optimistic, hopeful for the future. Um, but when you get down into the nitty gritty, there's some problems. You know, there's some mm. things that, you know, the the big groups can influence. And maybe sometimes they're not, you know, they're not looking after the best interest of everyone.
0: But what so, about yeah. the Olympic Development Program? Well, then you, you made the, the the remark about saying that geographically, we're kind of tough. But then you, then compare that to the, the ODP and how we have our regions, and that used to be the feeder program to the U.S. national team. So yeah. and what do you see the difference between having something like that with the MLS where you have these regional playoffs and you have these regional teams and they play up, and then they play like somewhere in California for the final, like the nationals, like what they were doing right now with the DA programs?
2: Yeah, sure. And pre-DA – there was really two things for the elite players. There was ODP and there was Mm -hmm. a super Y league. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys know about that. Like Mm -hmm. I played in the super Y league as a player and it was sort of the pre DA where all of the biggest quote unquote best clubs, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember being in Cleveland and driving eight hours to Chicago, play one game on Saturday, play one game on Sunday and then drive eight hours back. And that's not what's happened with the DA. So, I mean, it's brutal. It's tough. Mm -hmm. But um, to your point with ODP, ODP is different now than it used to be. I mean, in in capitalism in America is great. It provides opportunity and opportunity to make money. It also killed because ODP didn't, you know, get every good player, you know, a lot of times and a lot of players experience was, it was very clicked. The, the coach was either mm-hmm. a college or club coach and he brought his guys with him and mm-hmm. maybe added one or two at a time. So the ODP, while it had a pathway and I think it, did okay for a while then id2 was invented and u.s club soccer said we can make id2 and it's pretty much a regional version of odp and well another group of players got to come in another group of players got to have a competitive environment they went to they go to europe on a tour Mm -hmm. so it's just it's for me shows the fragmented nature of how in america anyone can really do anything you know at in the soccer world you can create a league right now you can create an association right now you could create a club right now you know mm-hmm. there's rules and things like that but if you get a name or money or whatever you can just go do it and you know pros and cons with that for me
0: but and, um, are there?
1: Not, not too sure where it's going though no, um it's a, a lot a lot of the people are up in the air especially the local people the ones that um can't afford that that da What's going to, how is that going to affect the drop off? You know, um I had had some questions from my parents um, going to see what was happening with all that situation, especially questioning the trials like we brought up before, you know, and yeah. past past conversations.
2: So, what do you guys think is the most likely scenario with this trickle down from the, the DA sort of transitioning to going under the MLS banner? Well, Where's I
1: you? I think. Um, they're gonna create. A, I know from my what I've heard rumors is that they're gonna create a a U.S. soccer league, one of the U.S. soccer club leagues. So maybe the DAs around here that have joined together, because you've seen that, that merger happen locally with other clubs to combine at the top of the DA. Uh, maybe they would are planning on creating one. I as, think as other other clubs have planned that before. So I'm pretty sure these these top guys will probably have that in their mind right now, creating something locally.
0: So, yeah. So with that being said, what do you think about the ECNL and and the other leagues that are, that are out there? I know with the D.A. academies, a lot of them have the pre-academy. And I think that within the D.A., they're going to get hit the most out of everybody but just because they were the in-betweeners, let's, let's put it. So yeah. they were better than the average kids, but they weren't there yet for the, the academy or they at least were the pool players. So that at least they had an option just in case some kid got sick or hit or hurt or whatever. So what do you guys think? I, I really think that's going to be the trickle-down effect starting with them. But what about the other leagues that are out there as well? How do you think this is going to affect that?
1: And this is more of Lucas's topic because, yeah, he's teaching yeah. us. He's teaching us. <laughs> give us, hard, give us more info. I want to know. Well, know. I was,
2: I was going to ask you, Rob, based on your experience, who, which – I mean, DA we, we regard as the highest level. And yeah. then NPL and ECNL, which one of those would you feel were more competitive? Because from my perspective, ECNL started really with the girls. and was like the, the ECNL was the DA for the girls, and then they mm-hmm. expanded to the boys.
0: Mm-hmm. But the
2: NPL – the National Premier Premier League was more for the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your perception of the competitive sort of hierarchy with that?
0: I always thought it was DA and NPL. Um, okay, on the boys' side, cause- on the boys' yeah. side, yeah, the, the girls is a totally different story. If we start getting into the girls' side of things, and the way that their programs have been organized, set up, and all that stuff is just—it's embarrassing to to say. How the leadership like, has handled all that, I and I know it's, I'm
1: the only one that has a girls team here. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of tough.
0: No, I co- I've I've coached so many girls teams. I've I've coached girls uh, previous to, to being at Western Select, and I, I see how it's run for the girls, and it's nowhere near how it is for the boys. And, and yeah. this whole the whole problem is, and it's funny too, right? Because if you take the women's game in America and compare it to the men's game, they are leaps and bounds ahead of of where the guys are just based off of how, how how successful they are at at, at the higher levels. But if you see how their things are being run, they're fighting an uphill battle from day one.
2: Well, and think Um, about that. Like where is the most stable part of the women's game in America? College. 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 So because the colleges are not going, the women's college teams are not going anywhere. They're getting title nine funding from men's sports. So it doesn't matter how you get the girls into college, but then they have that four-years incubator to provide for the national team. The league yeah. has come along, but for the men, I mean, there's where is the stability?
0: Why, why do you think that the college game is not – because we, we played, uh, you and I, Lucas, and, and Felipe, I know you, you followed the game as well, the yeah. college game as well. Why do you think there's such a gap in in college, shouldn't college actually be the feeder to the MLS, and shouldn't it be the feeder to the national team, and shouldn't It shouldn't be the feeder to external teams, just like the women's game does?
2: Well, I, I'm gonna I, I, I want us to go back to that question because I want to talk about the DA one first. So okay. I don't know, write it down, table it, yeah, whatever. Because yeah, so yeah. you 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 said Rob that the most impacted group from the DA is going to be the uh, the the pre academy groups and while i agree with that in part my counter argument is that maybe that the most accurate is eventually they will be the most impacted the first group that's going to be impacted with this da change are the the current da programs that also have that ecnl step or whatever because if they're not admitted into this mls da version then now there's the trickle down where a club club a that has da had ECNL or NPL, if they don't get a DA, then their kids are going somewhere else. So then that's where the trick went out. So the first affected groups are going to be the big clubs that have DA, and maybe it's going to be rare. I don't know how it'll work out. But the, the teams that have the DA, but then they're no longer, and so they're either pushing those kids to keep them in the club down to ECNL or NPL, and that, those leagues might get more competitive or those kids if there's another club around like in south florida we have options you know we have inter miami western fc team Boca. um i might be missing one or two tampa has a couple of them jacksonville has a couple of them but if you're in i mean if you're in tulsa oklahoma you got one you know one da team so all of a sudden i think uh I think the first wave is going to be that group. And who knows what could happen. You know, one likely scenario is the MLS could start how the DA started, just the U16 and the U18 boys. I, I would hope not because they're going to lose all those teams that the DA built, you know, the U14s and the, the pre with the U13s. But they certainly could do that.
0: Felipe, do you think that the, 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 the step-in of the MLS is going to help in, in, in this progression from the DAs? Or do you think, you know, because the, the introduction of Inter-Miami down here in Florida and, you know, you have the Red Bulls Academy and all this stuff where, the, you know, there's the a large congregation of soccer-playing kids. Do you yeah, think this is going to help
1: or? It's tough with the logistics here, you know, how our country is, you know, how our country is located, you know, compared to, um, you know, South America and Europe. You know, that's where you go. That's what yeah. you're assigned for. And that's how it's set up over there. You build from your your academy or your school, you know, from whatever club you are, you know, from and then you start building up. So I feel like it's about time that they're doing that here and going out around in that that area. Just the population here in soccer growing is gonna shut out a lot of a lot of people into it or, you know, not give a lot of people the, the chance to to showcase.
0: Do you think the, this? Yeah. Do you think this will help with the that the the standard issue of club culture within the, the United States?
1: Uh, I think it's just going to break it. I think people are just going to hop around from place to place like they usually do now, even more, just looking for that that right spot or that that club that caters to them.
0: But you could also say you, this is an opportunity for MLS to <laughs> to, to build that club culture seen,
1: too. Now. Yeah. Oh, well, from the, from the MLS standpoint, yeah, for sure. They, I hope they build that culture. That that's that's it. That's where it should be. That's how it's working in every other country, you know.
2: Which, which MLS teams do you think have the best club culture, Rob or Felipe?
1: I've I've read a lot about Dallas.
0: Yeah, Dallas. Dallas is,
1: is Dallas has been supplying. I think they're the one of the most Dallas and Seattle. I've I've read that they're the most that have been bringing up their young ones to their pro team instead of selling them.
0: Red Bulls is pretty big too. Red Bulls is is a very big one. Um yeah, I think, I think they're taking
1: I, the right steps.
0: Yeah, I think those three three programs have have really good good. Houston not that bad either. Yeah. Dynamo, they're not that bad either. Um I think Inter Miami coming in right now and with all the publicity that they got, should use this as a stepping stone and and a point of entry. To build some type of club culture down here in South Florida, and I think they have the way the means to make it something huge if they do it correctly. Oh, yeah. If they do the, it correctly,
1: with yeah. all we got in South Florida, in every sport here, man, this is a, a hotbed for every sport. I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, and yeah. South Florida's recruit era right here. And it's sad that the soccer, the soccer, the soccer player from down here gets missed out just for the logistics, you know, or the situation that they're in here.
0: You need success down here. I think that's what's necessary now. South Florida is a hotbed, but there's nothing that has really been consistent down here with regards to championships and and, and bringing sports here.
2: And particularly in soccer.
0: Particularly in soccer.
1: U.M. doesn't have a boys' soccer team.
2: Well, and that's a great segue to I think yeah. the topic that I yeah. tabled us for um, yeah. for yeah. you know is college part of the solution or maybe part of the, the problem. I, I don't know, but I what we're talking about is exactly so. Like in my opinion, you hit the three or four big ones: Seattle Sounders, what they've what they've created, uh, D- Dynamo, and Dallas have won the DA several times, and then Red yeah. Bulls is a is a force. So now what's happened is players and I was in New York city coaching and and a buddy of mine said, I have a kid who's coming to me. He was coaching at the same organization. And he's like, I coached him when he was younger. And now he's got a decision. Do I take a full ride? And I'll leave the specifics out. Do I take a full ride to a prominent D one program? Or do I take a one year contract at Red Bulls uh, for their, you know, essentially reserve team? I'm like, what a great problem to have, but he doesn't know what to do. And so ultimately I think what is, you know and there's so many different ways you talk about it but I'll start by saying this for me it's important that we offer every player is different and every player develops differently some are late bloomers some are athletically you know very advanced technically very behind some are technically very advanced but physically very behind so what America has that's unique that could be a strength but we haven't figured it out yet is the fact that my kid could go to college and get four extra years of development and playing time and then enter the program, maybe go through the USL, maybe go through, you know, USL 2 and things like that and and PSL. Or if he's ready, could go right to an MLS reserve team, an MLS B team or sign a, a senior contract. So I'm not one that's saying college soccer has no place or, you know, the pro Ranks just need to leave soccer, college soccer, alone and let it be housed there. I think it's if it serves a population, then it's it's okay. It's a, it's a good thing. But is there still that the provision,
0: provision in NCAA where if you play pro, you can't play in college, or if you are in college, you can't go and play pro? Because I remember when Correct. I played, that's, there was a provision. 100%. Do you think that's, so, Do you think that, Do you think you think that's hindering the development of the college game in America right now?
2: that's uh, an interesting question so you're getting into some of the differences um, of, of like philosophies in the college game so for example NCAA all, all of what you said is true if you sign a pro contract you go through the clearinghouse NCAA is going to say that you're not eligible to play the NAIA is is a little bit looser with their definitions of what is professional and semi-professional and you know different things like that NCAA division two which I coach at has even a couple different things that players that have played at pro clubs but, but have not signed a professional contract, a non-professional contract or an amateur contract or something that just covers their you know, travel and, and meals, they would be eligible for. So to answer your question, <clears throat> I think if you open the, the floodgates that there are so many coaches out there that will take that and run with it. And I think there are so many guys that have played pro that would love to keep playing and get their mm-hmm. education that would go play and then come back that the college game would become uh, very polarized in the sense that you would have coaches that would go out and only get former pros. And you'd have coaches that would philosophically say, no, my role is to take an 18 year old and develop him into a student athlete that if he doesn't go pro, he has a career. So I don't, my initial reaction, I've not thought about that in depth, but my initial reaction is that that brings more challenges and problems than solutions. How,
1: how is it going to very uh, be different from all these other sports? Because uh, being just a big sports fan, it's from college to NBA, it's uh, basketball, from, co- from college football to NFL. How Why doesn't that work from college to the MLS? You know, you don't see that that much. Is it because of the access or is it because just, you know, we're just a – It's not the – it's,
0: it's third, not the it, norm. I, mean, I don't think
1: that just works. I don't think that works it, either way. But why – I don't understand why it doesn't work since it works for all these other sports.
0: I think there's two things that you got to think about when you start uh, with, with that question. Number one is what's the prime age for a soccer player? And number two, yeah. what, when's it's the different. access really happens? Because a prime age for a soccer player is once you're 18 to, to 24, that's your prime right there, you know? And then, and then you go into 26, and then you're considered a guy that's, you know, been, he's an experienced player at that point. And once you get around Veteran. 30, yeah. yeah, once you get around 30, 32, then, you know, you're going towards the down end of your career. So the entry point for a soccer player is much younger than it would be for basketball. Also, in soccer, especially in America, you have a lot of options. You can leave and go pro and go to Europe and South America and have an opportunity at 16 and 17 to play in the first team for National somewhere, you know, or, or, or Ajax or something like that. You know, it, there's a huge disparity in that. American football is American football. There's only one pathway. NBA, there's only one pathway. You have to go through college in order to get to NBA team. Because as soon as you graduate, they're looking at you're going into the draft. Here, you could enter the draft in soccer as well earlier. So, I think. And what do you think, Lucas?
2: Yeah, you're the college guy. No, I think Felipe, what you bring up is a good point, and I, I agree with what you're saying, Rob. The the. The thing that I think about is, is the culture dynamic. So there's a, a great book Johann Cruyff put out a couple of years ago. Yeah. He was deceased, but he you know pretty much finished it. It's called My Turn. And one of the things that Johann Cruyff complimented when he came to America yeah. and played is he said they have mm-hmm. this phenomenal structure that doesn't exist in Europe where the public schools host sports. And he said the, the potential for this is unbelievable that a kid could come and get free school and get mm-hmm. free sport Mm-hmm. And so, and what, what happens because America is a food, American football centric, basketball centric, baseball centric sports, those sports thrive because they also, it also gets kids out of the hood. It also yes, gets kids, mean, it yep. I'm, I'm
1: speaking freely yep. here, so
2: I can, no, I can yeah. be politically yeah. incorrect to our listeners. They can be upset yeah, with absolutely me. Absolutely right. But you get a kid out of a rough situation. At a free public school with free american football which that stuff's expensive if you buy that gear it's, a t- you know, it's, a t- it's
1: an expensive sport yeah
2: so now all of a sudden you've given a structure for that sport to thrive well what happened in america is Pay to play. back in the 80s yeah. um, uh, and i'll be honest i I, ho- I i put the british accountable they spoke the language they come over in the 80s they started clubs and they realized oh i can i can host the camp i can host the team and and I can make a lot of money really quick. And so you know, that's my jab to the, any of our Brits <laughs> that are uh, listening. But, you know, in general, what, what's happened now with soccer is, okay, if you're an MLS owner or a general manager and a coach and you're building your roster, you're thinking, okay, I've got a kid that I've built up from my academy. I know that crop. I've got the college kid in the draft that can come up. Or I've also got the entire world. So I can look at the 18-year-old kid who just got cut by Sao Paulo, who will come over. I got an 18-year-old kid who just got cut by Southampton, you know, who would come over. And if I'm going to give a spot, you know, and there are restrictions with domestic players in the domestic roster requirements versus international players, but our American kids don't understand how competitive it is because mm-hmm. every single soccer primary country lets kids go that aren't good enough to make the cut. And then they go, you know, on loan, they go to America to get a scholarship. They try to another league or a lower league. So looking at from the top perspective as an MLS owner, it's like, Hey, I I've invested all this in my DA kid. Well, I've got a kid from Stanford knocking on my door, or I got a kid from, you know, Mexico, Liga MX knocking on my door. Mm-hmm. So it's not as easy as American basketball, as American football in the sense of the pathway is very clear and it's very linear linear.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So we we all deal in the youth aspect of, of the game and we're coaches and we've all came up in the youth youth leagues and programs and stuff like that. Um what do you guys think is the best pathway now? for kids to try to get into college or get seen by by coaches, period. Uh, there's an argument. Say, there's some guys saying that still high school is the way. I, I wholeheartedly am against that. Uh, I don't believe high school soccer for it, it is anywhere near the level of what's going on in league play. And uh, I've spoken to some college coaches, and they're like, we don't even look at high school that often anymore. We go to the specific tournaments, uh, San Diego Surf Cup, Dallas Cup, uh, that used to be the Tampa Bay Sun Bowl and you know uh, the Western Cup now and you got different ones uh, Minnesota USA Cup um what do you guys think is the, the the right pathway for if there's a player listening right now and let's say they're 14 15 16 years old what do you think are the steps that they need to take in order to to get there
1: and i th- i think it needs to start with uh, finding the the right uh right situation, right culture, right coach, you know, that's going to, you know, take it and sacrifice his time and put in time in you to help you get there. thats I think that's the first thing you need to find, you know, that coach that's going to, you know, if you're down, going pick you up and take you there, help you push you there through the tough times. Because a lot of these just, you know, I, you've seen a lot of kids just go from team to team to team to team. You know, constantly you you show up at a tournament, um, and you know I think that's one of the main things right there is just starting off with finding the right situation. that, you know that's gonna help it help you uh, build that and t- help you take it to the next level. But other than that, man, I, I I even I even really don't know like where should I guide a kid. I I feel like just starting from there would be the first thing for me, you
2: know. Well, I'll add to that, Rob, and then you can put in in your two cents. I, I love Lupe's response because the story that comes to mind that exemplifies that is Christian Pulisic. I mean, granted, his mom and dad grew up in the game, and and you know they had a background, but they they kept him at a at a developmentally appropriate club, developmental in PA, you know, outside of small town on Hershey, and and he and he was the star, and he was playing every game, and he was playing nonstop, and then at the time when the opportunity was right but he was with a coach that made sense he was at a club that made sense you know at his age uh, and i think a couple of the documentaries go on record to say like if he turned down philly union and dc united da's because he was so small his dad was like i don't know if you'll play so you go sit a bench or be number 13 you know coming off or number 12 coming off the bench or you can play here and play nonstop stop and be the man on the field so That comes to mind. I'm going to redirect your question, Robin. and answer it a different way first because there's a lot of great webinars and a lot of great info that's happening right now in the soccer world because everyone's just sitting down in front of a computer. I was on a a webinar the other day. Um, A D1 coach did a survey, and I can send this if you want to put it in show notes, but um, Dean Koski of the Lehigh University um, sent out a survey to 200 men's college coaches MLS coaches and MLS general managers, what are the top 10 traits in youth players that you look for as they progress into college or pro. And so the pathway is important, but as a college coach and college coaches speaking up in this survey, they were given 24 choices, 24 traits, and they ranked them. And the top 10 traits, we could do a whole show on this if we wanted to, but the top 10 traits, um, are more important than well, not more important. Sorry. They're equally important to the, the exposure that you get. And ultimately for the college game and to get a kid looked at by colleges, they need exposure. And the problem is a lot of clubs promise exposure, but they don't realize that they're not the only ones that can do it. So a big club, maybe they can get more exposure, but anyone can get exposure. So for me, it's about what Felipe said, getting a good coach, getting a good environment that they're challenged and comp- competing in. Um, the college process, from my perspective, is a long and grueling one. But for a kid to develop these 10 traits, and I'm you know sort of stealing his presentation, and then to go to ID camps, to go to tournaments to go, you have to get yourself out there and you have to sell yourself. And it's right now in America, it's not cheap. And it's not quick. So that's sort of my response to guiding a player as an overview. You know, all of those, I can get way more in depth.
1: And as a coach, just realizing what tournament you're going to, you know, um, what level of of competition do you want them to play in that tournament? Um, Usually you want to get them to go all in in these tournaments, you know, all or nothing. You know, (laughs) you only get them once once every month if – you know, mm-hmm.
2: and a huge, like every, huge, mostly
1: like what we do, we play a tournament a month. So, yeah, we're all in f- for this weekend, all you got. All right, and then that's when you have to showcase. But, yeah, you just have to pick what quality competition you're going to give yourself in these tournaments. That's up to the coach now. And do a I huge... want these kids to get an easy win, or do I want these kids to, to struggle and fight, show what they got deep down?
2: A huge point that I'll add to what you're saying, Felipe, is that. In our day and age, the kids got to record these games and make highlight videos. Uh, As a college coach, from when our season started in August to it ended in November, got 1,200 emails, coach, look at me. And many of those have invites to Disney and this and that. And, you know, the college coach doesn't have time to go to your tournament and your game. Sorry, it's just the reality. So Mm -hmm. when you go to that tournament... You need to film that game. You need to take out your best moments, and you need to have an ongoing highlight reel of you playing. You know, it's just the day and age we live in. Um, mm-hmm. so it should be can, easy
1: now. It's easy now. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. That's probably the best exposure you're ever going to get is just you recording yourself, putting it out there. Yeah.
0: yeah. Just to piggyback off what you guys said, I really do think that uh, you, you need to be put in those environments f- with your coach and with your club to be seen. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about the whole uh, sticking with one club uh, type of thing Um, because that doesn't necessarily mean that the club's interests are best for you. Uh, We've all seen these clubs that are out here that are just trying to have a factory. Uh, Well, they'll they'll have several different levels in one age group, And with the prospect of telling these kids that they'll be able to move up and move down with hard work and all that stuff. But most commonly those kids don't even get seen and they could be useful somewhere else in a different way Uh, where they, they they most likely will be a starter. Like you said, Lucas, and the the example of Christian Pulisic where they're going to continue to play. But um, Pulisic is a very rare case because the kid was super talented, you know, um, the, the idea behind that as well is just what if he didn't have those opportunities? What if his parents didn't bring him overseas? You know, then he gets lost in the system and he's just playing. Then, then it turned, he's the best kid on the team that'll never get seen, you know? Um, so it, it's really, uh, I can tell you from me even growing up, we, we didn't have the whole system with the DA programs, but we did have, regional teams that were really really good and your whole line was to try to get into those teams so that you would go to the right tournaments so that you would get seen by the college coaches and that you would have that opportunity. Um, I could tell you this year with my boys just 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 based off of my experiences I said try out for everywhere. I said try out for state try out for all these different places just to make sure that you have that exposure. And you you never know. You might even get picked up from one of these teams that are at the higher end. I agree.
1: If
0: if I can't take you to Surf Cup, you need to go somewhere that's going to take you to Surf Cup. If I can't take you to Dallas Cup, you need to go there. If I can't take you to Holland to go play in a in, in um, tournament out there or go to Italy or Manchester City and in, in Manchester United and play in those tournaments where there's international coaches from every country – that's in Europe playing Champions League. Yeah, I, I could take you but so far, you know, but you still need yeah. to make sure to you put yourself out there for those college coaches to see you or those professional coaches to see you so that you are progressing if that is your goal or if, that, if you know that's where you want to be. Yeah, there's you know, a
2: side benefit to that when they go to those big tournaments, big events, that not only do they have the opportunity to record the game, do they get the experience that experience is invaluable to go and play a team from California to go and play a team in Europe. Um, those experiences are phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's very good. Um, you know, so overall I hear what you're saying. I think it is a balanced and I think, you know, a club coach is or a club administrator is going to hear what you're saying, Robin. Let me like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a big club, they're like, yeah, yeah. What he's saying is spot on. Like, and if you're Mm -hmm. a smaller club, you're like, no, no pump the brakes. You can't go to the big club for exposure, but, at the end of the day, let's be, let's be real. Talent gets noticed. You know, yes, none of us that. are going to have a phenomenal player and, and just keep him there. Like you guys are going to see my best player. Yo, how is he? How is he this week? And now, now all of a sudden, like there's a buzz and, and Hey, can I get him? Can I get him for this event? Can I get him for that event? And then all of a sudden, you know, I notice him, you notice him. He knows our club administrator knows him. and, and, top top players if Pulisic didn't get you know if Pulisic's path was that he didn't go to Europe at some point he would have been seen by a club coach that would have said hey you really got to come here now or you really got to go there or a college coach would have been like hey you got to come and then another college coach would have been like "Hey, you know are you thinking about Mm -hmm. transferring you know or so who knows it's we're we're talking fictional now which is interesting but in my opinion Top players rise through their own own self, through the coaching world, through the the club world. And, you know, do you think,
0: do you guys guys think that the club's focus should be for kids to go to college? Or should it just be, uh, and I understand this is based off of the type of teams that you have, type of players that you have, and all other stuff. But what do you think that a youth club's end goal should be?
2: Are you saying a youth club, like a MLS club or like, I'm thinking in, you know, I'm talking like in general, non- I'm talking prof- in a non-professional I'm pro- club.
0: I'm talking in general because there's a lot of clubs that are out there that are not, um, that their end goal is not pro, but their end goal is, you know, the kids just to have fun. Those are your rec like programs, of course. But if you have a travel program that's somewhat competitive, what do you think their end goal should be? Should it just be for, uh, Okay you know, you come here to play every weekend, you get your games in, and you're happy, and that's it, and that's all we're going to promote, or you can provide programs within the club as well, say, listen, if you want to go to college, this is the type of things you need to do, or have seminars, or have a team that's set up where where you're going to specific tournaments, or uh, making sure that the parents know at at a certain age group that, listen, we are, um, we're promoting the, the fun of the game, but if you want more, this is what this is the direction you should go into. Do you think that should be the way that the, the, the clubs are structured now? Or do you think that it should just be, you have your MLS, your DA clubs, and and the uh, NPL clubs, and, and that's what the kids should be focused on, the ones that are, are highly competitive. And then you have your separation where you have your rec and the travel teams that just play for fun.
1: I just think you got to remember that, uh, uh, that this, this – Sorry.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Uh,
1: Soccer is totally, 30, 30, totally different here, you know, compared to what kind of scholarships are they getting, uh, Lucas? Are they like for football? Yeah. Hey, we got a, a D1 tournament in, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, we're going to go because that's what what's on the line is a full ride scholarship. You know, it's worth the it's worth all that work. But for college soccer, what are they giving out, Lucas? Are they giving out full rides that's going to pay for everything?
2: Well, let's clear the air on that. So it is very, very rare to get a full athletic scholarship in America. Very rare. And most universities do what's called stacking, okay? So you get a little bit of academic money, a little bit of athletic money, maybe a little bit of a Pell Grant, maybe a little bit of FAFSA money. So – it happens, but if a college if, if a club if a youth club is selling oh if you come to this tournament, you're likely going to get a full ride, I'd be very cautious yeah. Um, yeah. you know i could I could say you know you're getting a bunch of smoke in your face, so, yeah.
1: I would say just the club should at least provide support is like, yeah, um, you know we'll help you academically, <laughs> we'll help you get exposure, at least you know we'll try our best to help you out you can't guarantee anything but you know we're yeah. going to give you 100 percent support on, on your on what you want to achieve even if these kids get a partial scholarship and get a full academic scholarship or whatever just to still go play a sporting college is a dream yeah you know
2: well rob i think what you your question about like what is should be the youth club's goal i think it's a different maybe a different way of framing what felipe said for me the club has the opportunity to articulate their mission their their philosophy their mission and their identity and so if they stay true to that I think the club will be successful because then they can define success how they want so if a club says you know our our goal is to give an early soccer experience so kids can fall in love with it and then give them the best soccer experience they can through that and if they stay true to that identity then the kids like you're saying the kids that rise the the top 5% they can go to a club that says, okay, our identity is provide the absolute most competitive coaching environment, playing environment, tournament schedules. So then that, the kid comes to that, and if a club is honest and upfront and says, hey, we're the most competitive, and a kid comes in, and they don't make the team, okay, well, sorry. We told you we were the most competitive. We're mm-hmm. looking for the best eighteen team players in this age. That's who mm-hmm. we're going to go for. That's who we're going to take care of. You can be on our B team, but understand – it's just an opportunity for you to earn back for the a team. and if you don't, we're not going to give you the same exposure, opportunity, attention, blah, blah. But you have to accept that. You know, so for me, to say you know what should the role of the youth club be as a blanket statement is is hard because our country is so big and just I mean South Florida is so big, and there's so many clubs, from like tiny little guy just doing his own thing to a big mega you know, like we're you know across the town. Um, so for me, what's your philosophy, what's your mission, what's your identity stick to that, that should be your job as a youth club and, and be honest with yourself. Cause if you're trying to be the most and best and best and best most competitive, I'll say it that way, but you know, you're not there. Okay. Well, where's your identity right now? And you can evolve your philosophy. I'm, I'm cool with that. If you yeah. evolve your philosophy as your club grows, as it improves and things like that, but recognize where you are, do it, do it really well. Okay. And then adjust when it's time. That's, that's for me. Great advice. That's
0: great advice. That's great advice. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Yeah. uh, Last, last question. Um, Where do you guys think United States soccer should be involved within the grassroots and moving through the clubs? Uh, Let me, let me give you an example. Um, I I could speak to, to the Netherlands from what I experienced anyway. Is that um, everything is? I know our 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 country's huge. It's it's massive. Holland's a very very small country, but everything is run through the federation, and it's regional offices. Um, everything you do goes through them. It doesn't go through the state. It doesn't go through uh, any any other outside means. Do you think that U.S. soccer should be the uh, let's say the vessel that, that, that handles everything or should it be left to those independent state organizations? What do
2: you think, Felipe? You're
0: on mute.
1: It's true. It's just <laughs> a big, sorry, a big organization or a big country. There's. I've looked at that umbrella and I'm like, wow, every state is 50 yeah. states, you know, 50 states, 50, Florida Youth Soccer Association, whatever Georgia has. And they all have different, you know, all their logistics are different.
0: I love (laughs) it.
1: Life. Living the life. Uh, I love it, yeah. I I was able to keep it quiet as long as I could. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I do think they should be involved at least a little more than what they usually are. You know, there's so many major tournaments here. There's soccer going on constantly. in South Florida. Don't rain, you know. Mm. You know it don't snow. It just yeah. rains a little bit, and then we're good. Yeah. Get to go again. You know, you can be outside. On you know, up north, it's tough yeah. with the snow.
0: Let me add a little bit to that question too. Do you think that would help soccer in America if they were more involved in 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 the process?
1: I think they need to look at what other countries do. Because I think they look too much successful. at what other
0: countries. I think they look a little bit too much at what other countries do and then try to implement it for a short term, and it never really works out. That's America doesn't awesome. really, have, yeah. you know. That's
2: that's been our mo for the last eight, ten years.
0: Yeah, and it, it's not panning out, and it's not working out because there's no there's, there's not the right structure behind it to handle it on such a massive scale, which is necessary for the United States. I feel,
1: but it's crazy that from over there and. I just, you know, the friends that I have over there, this coach can go find this little kid from an island that is fast, like a bolt, and he just picks him up, and all of a sudden this kid's on the U-17 national team. You know, how can they find those little kids in those little small little areas that probably don't have internet, that have no access to anything like that, but we can't have that here? Like, Mm -hmm. why, why can't we do the same? There's... There's so much like what we said your exposures recording your games there's so much access to that you can upload your own videos on YouTube you know how can those coaches on those other countries find these players and we can't find those here
2: mm-hmm. well Robert I think you the for me you mentioned the Holland model um, mm-hmm. the German one is uh, yeah, some a bit of a soccer nerd so you'll, you'll pick that up I was looking for it here on my little bookshelf, but there's a book called Das Reboot. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of it? uh, Yeah, I heard of that one. So, so pretty much when Germany had the early exit, and I forget which World Cup, the DFB came together and was like, look, we're doing the regional type offices. We're going to have a DFB representative in every region. We're going to, no kid is going to be missed in the process. We're going to do coach education through the region to every club. We're going to push out this. And it was a t- eight, 12 year project to win the World Cup, and that mm-hmm. was the generation that Philip Lahm and his cohort that that did, you know, and Cruz and these guys, and and so the you're in my opinion you're right USA USA is flawed USA soccer leadership is flawed in the sense that they're like okay what's Holland doing what's Spain doing what's and then they just try to put it into effect and they do these presentations and these beautiful powerpoints and blah 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 and it's like guys okay. We're as big as Brazil, you know, we have, we're just as spread out. We're the Ohio is the size of Holland, you know, so we can't take what they do, but you can learn from them, you know, and you can make something Mm -hmm. that is specific to your own. So in concept, I would love what you're saying, Rob, that the U.S. USSF, maybe partner with MLS would say, okay, each state is going to be run like a mini country. Let Ohio be its own country, but then you, then you, you know, you have your best kids and they come up to the feder, in you know, sort of an ODP model. Um, mm-hmm. but for me, the biggest area the federation needs to get involved is coach education. You know, at, at the end of the day, this, the numbers are staggering and I could look them up. Um, there was some, you know, at the coaches conventions and stuff, they share the data. Um, Holland, Spain, Iceland, when they had their big run, put a, bunch of supplemental money from the federation to coach the grassroots coaches. So the ones that are working with the kids youngest, when they're learning the skills, were getting the education and they were teaching the kids, right? So then when they got older, they had the technical foundation. So for me, if the USSF ever wants to really move the needle on player development, it comes in educating coaches, quality, affordable, I'm not saying it has to be free, but affordable so that any parent that wants to get involved with rec soccer, has the knowledge base and i think that the coaches association has done a little bit in terms of their grassroots online things for before 77 Mm -hmm. um and then and then that middle group all right the d c b is pretty high level there's no reason that a coach who has an ambition to get that education should need to pay two thousand three thousand four thousand dollars when in holland you know how much is it (laughs) you know when in in Spain uh, you, it's like, you're
0: paying you're paying in the hundreds over yeah, right. there because they yeah. they want you to take it and uh, yeah. uh, Felipe could attest to uh, this as same, well same, we just same got thing it in Colombia yeah yeah we, we 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 just took our licenses and the amount of money that we dished out was ridiculous yeah. uh, i do have to say shout out to skylar we had a great course it was one of the best courses courses i ever took in, in america uh, um but it, it's it's though the curriculum, I think, a little bit, it changes a lot because they're they're learning as they're doing it, but also um, the, the amount of money it takes. There's a lot of guys that I know that are put off just to take their licenses because they say, "Listen, I got to pay two thousand dollars to do this. I'm not doing that. I could do that. I, I got to pay rent. I got to go. I got to go pay the car payment. I got child support. Whatever it is, you know, it's just. For but sure. it's it's not worth kicking out that much money. The same amount of money I spent yeah. here for my for my license. I can get two licenses overseas. Sure.
1: It's not even the money, too. It's the time. Yeah, You got take how to take two two weeks off of work. Yeah. Well, the way they there have it go. here is, you know, is a little different. It's fine, but you know,
2: I mean, it used I to think, be a week long, you know, forty hours a week. So I think they've tried with that. Uh,
1: I'm I'm I th- I'm fine with you know if you're gonna charge me an arm and a leg. Well, all right. Well, lower the days th- a little bit. Uh, come on, he had a. Make me suffer using my my vacation time, even that though it was worth it. But God, yeah, it sucks. You know, See, it's a different th- structure here. You know, over there, you know, you can live off soccer. Over here, people, you know, yeah, like me, I work at I work somewhere else and got a day job, and then I come and have fun at the
0: soccer park. Same, same thing with me. But it, the thing that, that I think it's kind of short here, and I think that's where there's also there's a little um, a little break from American coaches is that. Overseas, you're, you're assessed throughout the course of the year. And then you have like a night class at your regional district. Um, I think that's the best way to go because it's you're, you're, it's a whole year thing. You have to put everything that you're learning in practice. And you're also being assessed throughout the whole course of the year. So if you're not doing that, that's part of your grade. So, you know, just like anything else that you learn, if you're not doing it by habit, you're never really gonna learn it. See
1: that see that would be worth the price. If I'm gonna yeah. visit uh once a month there's a organization, local organization that coaches meet up, you know, get instruction or updates and ask questions to like what you said, a regional coach or regional US soccer coach, instructor yeah. that lives in the area. Well, that would be great. But cool. I know okay. we
2: gotta I know we gotta go at um I'm a bit of a soccer nerd so before we go my my question for you guys is what's like one resource that you would share book podcast you know something you've seen on Netflix like for our listeners whether it's a a coach a parent a player what's something you would share with them
0: well mine is my turn I'm reading all these books and you know I'm a Dutch guy so that's that's yep I have mine in my room. I was gonna pull it out a minute ago. Yeah, <laughs> and um, do it. Do it
1: for you. of course, every Dutch guy has that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> all <I know>, right. <laughs> and um also, the oh, Pep Guardiola's book about his time at Bayern Munich. Um, oh, I there
1: it. you go. That's what I'm talking about. That was just gonna mention that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On you guys, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I read that on the way to Europe one year. Yeah, That's great. Also, That's a great book.
0: And if you, if you like a lot of technical jargon and, and understanding stuff, there's in the, uh, the in, Inverting the Pyramid. Mm. Um, and actually, actually Netflix just put out a, a, a show about football and how it all started. If you're a soccer fanatic, it's definitely something to watch. It's, it's good, something to binge on a weekend. Yeah,
2: um, it's and called it's, the, it's, the English game.
0: Yes, exactly. And it's kind of what the Inverting the Pyramid is. The whole beginning for like four or five chapters of the uh, Inverting the Pyramid. That's the whole story. Um, but that's really, really technical reading, you know, and, and how they did exactly everything. And the guy goes really deep. And it goes all the way up to, I, forgot, I think, the 2006 World Cup, I think it was. Nice. Uh, but it, it's, it's a good read. It's a good read if you like that technical stuff. But, yeah, those three books in that, in that Netflix special, I think, are really, really good uh, things to see. And also all those Amazon specials that they have for, uh, for the soccer teams. Manchester City was a great one. That was I re- a, that was a
2: great that, watch. That,
0: yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the Brazil one yet, but th-
2: those are pretty good as well. Oh, I didn't even know that was out. I need to check that one out asap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did one with the All Blacks, the New Zealand All Blacks rugby. Yeah, so that yeah, that was yeah.
0: cool. Those are great series. Those are great. So, but yeah, Felipe, anything? Anything else?
1: Oh man, this was fun. Yeah, man, got to learn a lot, man. I had a lot of questions about that that college life because you, you know you know we, we we're, try, we're trying to cater to those kids maybe point them in the right direction you know at least give them a little help you know yeah. try to do you know they pay yeah. for a club you know you got to give them 100 percent you know that's what they deserve
0: yep exactly a
1: lot of topics
2: for the future as well
0: yeah so <laughs> that's gonna that'll conclude episode one for uh for today uh hopefully we'll all be back again uh Next week, or if not two weeks, uh we'll see what we could work out. But I think uh I really had fun today and this was a great experience with, with both of you guys. Uh thank yeah. you for sharing. And cool. for sharing. Yes.
1: Yeah. Can't wait.
0: Can't wait. Awesome. Can't wait. All right, guys. Thanks a lot and uh tune in for the next one. Take it easy. All right. Have Thanks. a good
2: night, guys.